Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with Anthony Hughes, the co-founder and CEO of Tech Elevator, a 14-week coding boot camp that recently opened up shop here in Columbus. Anthony and I talked about what the program is like, who may be interested in programs like theirs, We also boiled down what a developer actually is. We talked about the difference between programming languages and touched upon a common theme on the Confluence cast, the importance of mentoring. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence cast is now on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Kepri, a full-service web and mobile development company specializing in design and programming services. Defined through skills and innovation, Kepri works with their clients to create user-centric, technology-based products that innovate. Kepri provides complete technology solutions with a solid strategy to meet your goals and grow your brand. See examples of their work and explore what Kepri can do for you at Kepri.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Anthony Hughes, the co-founder and CEO of Tech Elevator. We're actually recording today at Rev1 Ventures, the home of Tech Elevator. Anthony, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Where is that accent from? Uh, this is an English accent. Excellent. And how long have you been stateside? I've actually been here since 2004. Okay. I have a long affinity with the U.S. My mother is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, okay. and I studied American studies in college. There you go. So that's why it's not so heavy of an accent. No, it's been rounded. Good. Give us, I'm going to make hopefully the only pun that I make today, give us the elevator speech for Tech Elevator. Tech Elevator is an intensive full-time software development program teaching novices with no professional experience in software development to become junior software developers to work in uh, the growing tech sector in the communities we serve. Okay. And it is a 14-week program. You have offices both here and in Cleveland. Talk about the student experience. What does that that boot camp look like? So uh, the student experience is an intensive one. We uh, liken it to the experience of drinking from a fire hose. So okay. we have to do a, a very a very strong uh, job at identifying the right people to come through the program in the first place. So um, you know, software development is not for everybody to mm-hmm. start with. Uh, it takes a certain cognitive ability to do it. Um, and uh, the coding boot camp process, the full-time intensive uh, process, is also not necessarily the perfect learning um, path for everybody. And so finding the right people uh, in the first place is absolutely critical. So it's like, this is probably a terrible analogy, but like pledging a fraternity or going through basic training in the military, it's certainly not for everybody. There are people that are going to come in, they're going to burn out but hopefully you're identifying students that are a good fit before they even sit down. Absolutely. I I don't want to take the money, the tuition from anybody who we don't genuinely believe can be successful in the program. 
Um, you know, we are a for-profit education company, and you know, for-profit education companies are under fire right now for very good reasons. That they're more focused on securing the tuition revenue than they are on the outcomes. And for us to be able to generate the outcomes that we've been generating. At the end of the day, we have to work with uh, the raw materials uh, that will enable us us and them to be successful. Okay. How long has Cleveland been around? So we founded in July of 2015. Okay, so very recently. Can, very recently. Can you speak at all to success rates? Yeah, so um, you know the program has uh, basically been successful from the outset. Uh, we're very proud of our outcomes. Um, our outcomes are the culmination of a, a ton of different components that go into building a successful model. Um, but um, we have a 98% job placement rate within 120 days of graduation. Our students are working at uh, top-tier technology companies like Highland Software, Progressive Insurance, uh, down here now in Columbus, J.P. Morgan Chase, HMB, Pillar, um, ICC, and we continue to grow the demand in the, uh, in the uh, employer community for the talent that we're producing. So we've very much been validated in a very short period of time simply by the fact that companies are hiring students and they're turning around and they're asking for more. And I want to get back to what level of expertise someone has when they come out of the program. But let's talk first about what the day-to-day experience of a student is like in your program. Sure. So uh, it's a full-time program. Uh, Students are expected or class starts at 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, The mornings are made up of lectures uh, presented by experienced practitioners from industry. Um, and then in the afternoons, um, we give the students exercises to reinforce the new concepts that they've learned in the morning. And those exercises will take place with other students in pair programming exercises as well as on an individual basis. Um, you know, the, the formal part of the day is from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Um, but a typical student will do on average uh, two plus hours of additional work every day. So it's a, it's a full-time uh, program. And, and as well as additional work on the weekends as well. Can you talk about what a good student, a good candidate is like? What what are you looking for in a student? Yeah. Well, so I'll start by I'll start by saying that we've seen a very broad array of profiles for our students coming in. So the youngest student we've placed at a company is 19 years old. The, the oldest student is 62 year, 62 years old. Okay. So a very broad range. But the typical range that we see uh, is you know somewhere between 25 and 35. They have uh, typically we see them with college degrees coming to us. About 30 percent of the students don't have college degrees or okay. have some college experience um, and uh, they've had some work experience leading up to it okay so there's no sort of set profile um, the commonalities between the students are you know one they have a passion for technology they're interested in technology they're exposed to technology in their day-to-day work uh, they may be tinkering on the side um, messing around you know in a workshop or you know uh, getting involved in um, you know robotics or hacking you know uh, jailbreaking phones or whatever they're okay. interested or has purchased like a Raspberry Pi or something around, like yeah, that. Yeah, Raspberry okay. Pi and various other things like that. So, you know, um, you know, they're, they're interested in technology. Equally, they may not be like that 
sort of techie or geeky, but you know they um, they may be exposed to technology in their work. So we see tons of people coming from you know marketing backgrounds where you know technology is having such a massive impact on marketing uh, that not to be interested in technology and how it's done, um, you know, is is going to diminish their opportunities for advancement in their career. And as they've started to tinker, they've started to say, hey, this could be a really great career for me. And additionally, um, they may have messed around with, um, you know, online programs like uh, Free Code Camp or mm-hmm. W3 Schools or Udacity. They may have, you know, done some of those sort of things and ultimately recognized um, that if they're going to break into a career in software development, they need to make more of a commitment. They mm-hmm. really need to dig deep. Uh, and that's at the point that we're getting the students. You know, they're really looking for that effective on-ramp to careers in technology. Do you believe that it's something that they can be self-taught in or do you think that schools like this are required for people? So, I mean, you know, I think there's just a practical reality that everyone has different ways of learning. You mm-hmm. know, my personal learning, I, I love to read. I'm a voracious reader. Um, but, you know, when it came to academics, you know, I needed pressure. I needed deadlines. I needed access to instructors personally. Um, I think that people can self-teach. You know, I think that once people are in the field and they have a foundational understanding, the field self-educates. Technology changes far faster than education can evolve. And you see a phenomenal community here in Columbus around Tech Life and various other meetups that really support that peer-to-peer learning and that advancement of understanding as technology changes. Breaking into the field, though, you know, there's a there's a really um, a, a, a significant baseline of fundamentals that needs to be put in place, mm-hmm. and that's what we offer people to get into the field. Because you can't really say to a potential employer, "Well, I've been doing this." And, oh, you're working in a different language, and I'm sure I could learn that. You're not going to get a job by saying, I'm sure I could learn that. (laughs) Well, I think you need to be able to show a baseline capability for an employer to be really excited. You know, um, know, if somebody is self-motivated enough and can tap into the right resources, Mm -hmm. um, it is entirely possible that they could learn on their own. You know, um, nothing that Tech Elevator teaches is proprietary material. These materials are publicly available Mm -hmm. online. How do you build your syllabus? Um, So we've essentially, you know, our our program has been created by practitioners from industry. And the first question, David uh, Wintrick, my co-founder, who came, uh, who was the senior architect of pay.gov, which is a $150 billion application for the U.S. Treasury. Okay. You know, he was hiring junior developers, and you know, he asked himself a question, what is the baseline competency that I need to see in a person who can be effective from day one? And then essentially what we did is we engineered a curriculum backwards from that. So, you know, when you're engineering backwards, you've got to get to a point of, you know, an origination point uh, of a a candidate profile that's going to be successful. So as we look at it, you know, we we fundamentally believe that in our workforce, in any of the regions and the communities that we're in, there there are people who are way more intelligent than the the work they're doing demands. Okay. Their potential is completely under-realized and underutilized, and they're frustrated because they're intelligent. They know they can make more of an impact. And so what we give them are a set of skills that allow them to align with significant opportunity in the market. I mean, the beauty of software development as a field is it's constantly evolving, it's Mm -hmm. constantly changing, uh, and it very 
much welcomes um, people who are hungry learners, uh, eager to advance, eager to learn new things, and it's a very meritocratic field. It's it doesn't judge people by backgrounds, mm -hmm. and so you know we essentially act as that on ramp from very very different and eclectic backgrounds. Is somebody coming out of your program maybe not? equivalent to but would you compare it to someone coming out with like a bachelor's in computer science or yeah i mean certainly for the market you know for the employers that's definitely the way that they're looking at tech elevator graduates okay. so you know uh we produce currently junior developers so that's our product is a junior developer who's capable of entering into a uh, a software developer role uh, and will grow in that role over time um you know there are there are um there are similarities and there are differences i think some some of the things that we hear from our employers that they really like about Tech Elevator grads mm -hmm. is um, the result of a very, a very practical, uh, hands-on curriculum. In other words, our students are doing a ton of, are getting a ton of practical experience of writing code. Um, one might argue that the practical experience that you're getting uh, maybe in a CS degree is more extracurricular. You may be involved in a hacker club, you mm -hmm. may be doing some, you know, some internships, but you know, the, 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 the predominance of the curriculum is, is theoretical as opposed to practical. We very much take the practical side of the equation. The other thing that employers really like about our grad graduates is that they've had exposure to other areas of business. Okay. You know, on average, a Tech Elevator student has eight years of experience in their career already. Okay. And so they may have exposure to the accounts, accounting department or the marketing department, or they may have been in a sales role. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, that additional perspective uh, gives them a, a roundedness and a maturity that I think are, you know, that we're getting feedback from our employers that they really like. And possibly that outside perspective is able to then influence the work that they're doing, making it a better, in the end, product for whomever is using it, whether that be an internal program or something that's customer facing. Exactly. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you boil down what a software developer is in their simplest form, mm -hmm. you know, they're problem solvers who solve problems using technology. So, okay. you know, those might be business problems, they may be, you know, social problems, governmental issues, whatever, but essentially what they're doing doing is they're harnessing the resources that technology provides to build applications to solve problems. So if you're going to be solving problems, it's, it's helpful if you uh, have the ability to understand those problems. And, and the ability to understand those problems will come from some context as well. So if you have context from other components of the business and mm -hmm. an understanding of those, you know, it gives you an advantage as you're trying to sort of dig into how best to solve the problems using the tech tools you have at your hands. I know that you guys do some training of your students for applying for jobs. And I ask this question simply because I have no idea. What does a technical job interview in the field like this look like? Well, I mean, there's a whole... Uh, there's is, a, it, is it one of those things where you walk in and they say, okay, write this piece of... Here's an assignment or... Is there a portfolio you bring to the table? What what does that look like? Sure, I mean it's it varies uh, completely across the board and across companies. But a typical kind of boilerplate uh, interview uh, might be um, you know a coding challenge. Okay, uh, you might be pair programming with an experienced developer, and and they're looking at how you're solving the problem and writing code. Uh, you basically may, a working interview, a if working you will. interview. Yeah, just proving that you can do it. You may never touch a computer in the course of your interview. You may 
whiteboard the entire thing. So you'll be sitting in a room, there'll be a whiteboard, and they'll say, here's the problem, you know, uh, write out the code that you would use to solve it. So, you know, um, but that that actual component of the interview is usually taking place, you know, two, three steps down the line. Okay. So, um, you know, what you typically would see is a, a, a phone screen uh, coming from, you know, people in HR who may have some familiarity with software development as a field, but no clear expertise and the ability to tell whether they have a quality technical talent or a low quality technical talent. Because they're basically going to say, do you know this language? Because this is the information I was given from the hiring manager. Exactly. I have a job rec. It says all these things. I'm going to make sure this person fits that those parameters. And if they get through what essentially amounts to, you know, more of a cultural fit, you know, an understanding of behavioral interview or a cultural fit, then they will be recommended as a, you know, for a next step. Um, So, you know, our process, you know, we we have a uh, sort of a career readiness program that runs in parallel. So, you know, uh, when we started Tech Elevator, we said, you know, look, at the end of the day, people aren't learning how to code for academic curiosity. They really want to pursue a career Mm -hmm. in software development. Why would we set them out into the world with one hand tied behind their back? Um, You know, in order to break into the field, there's a process through which they need to go. That is through the application process. That's through, you know, the first and second round interviews and ultimately the technical interview. So, you know, we prepare them throughout that entire process. So we get them familiar with what they're going to expect at various different stages. We give them practice from a technical interview standpoint, um, you know, ultimately giving them the comfort and ultimately allowing their technical skills to shine because they've been able to make it through the various different phases of an interview process. But that's really not where it starts. So, you know, our process, you know, that's the the tail end of the the process. Okay. Um, Leading up to that, though, there's work that needs to be done to get a candidate ready. I don't know about you, but my college experience, you know, I, uh, the career office, you know, was sort of a, no one ever went there. You know, right. you, if you opened the door and went in the career office, they were surprised to see you sometimes, you know. Um, and nobody ever introduced me to somebody from industry. Nobody ever talked to me about interview practice or, or the typical questions you might see or even dress code or handshakes or body language or anything. And so, you know, our process, you know, is designed to prepare them for what to expect. And so that starts from day one. You know, we have a 14-week you know, technical training mm-hmm. track. And then we layer on top of that what we call the pathway program, which is the career readiness program. And that starts by getting them comfortable uh, telling the story about what they did before Tech Elevator uh, and what that tie-in is to technology and a, and a, and a career in technology. Um, we get them comfortable with the potential different career tracks that they might go. You know, there are, there are lots of different iterations around software development and roles around them that might be interesting. We work with them on LinkedIn. We work with them on resume workshops. I mean, we're doing all of that stuff to prepare them to represent themselves as best as possible to hiring managers in the market. And And I'm sure even in the short time that you guys have been around, that has been tweaked a little bit because you're getting feedback from, you know, the world at large of this could be, you know, a little better, basically. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I say to my team at Tech Elevator, there are no sacred cows in this business. Nothing is nothing is unquestionable. Um, if there are better ways of doing it, let's do it. I mean, ultimately, let's you know, let's understand what our north star is, and that's getting bright people the skills they need to have fulfilling careers in technology. So, how can we do that efficiently, effectively, uh, and 
you know, it's always up for debate as to whether we can do it in a better way. And let's give a brief overview of sort of what they learn in the boot camp. There are two tracks, essentially, right? You're either learning Java or .NET. Those are programming languages. Can you talk about the difference between them? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at our core, we are a demand-driven program. So we're very practical about what we teach. Um, <clears throat> we looked at the, the needs in the market. We looked at the, the um, job postings in the market. Um, and we basically determined that, you know, Java and .NET were the predominant languages of demand in this marketplace. Now, mm-hmm. there are companies like uh, Cover My Meds, which is a Ruby right. shop, you know, but predominantly, you know, uh, the job openings are dominated by uh, um, Java and uh, .NET. And actually, that's <clears throat> that's consistent nationally as well. So Java is the number one in so demand. So you did identify, you know, Cleveland, Columbus, slash Ohio, these are the needed languages. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, it, it, you know you, you'll see boot camps on the coast that focus on Ruby or JavaScript, and those may be a little bit more, um, you know, in vogue, uh, you know, in, in you know, um, Massachusetts or in, uh, in, in California. But mm-hmm. for this region, Java and .NET are the skills that, you know, folks are looking for. So that was the first thing, demand-driven. If we're going to teach people how to become programmers, let's teach them in a language that matches up with the demands in the marketplace as well. For those that are not technically savvy and aren't familiar, what are the distinct differences between Java and .NET? Is it simply different command lines and different triggering words for the code, or how are they different? So, I mean, you know, Java and .NET, is, it's just the syntax, um, you know, that programming is done in. So okay. it's just a different, you know, there's just, it's different ways of instructing the computer. To they do both the can do essentially do. the same thing. One is probably better for another thing. And your website actually points out, look at the jobs that you're interested in down the line and see what they are asking for, what expertise they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, we say to the students coming in, you know, if you have a very strong affinity one way or another, then that's great. Um, we also tell them, look, it's not a high stakes program. You know, okay. this isn't like choosing to do computer science or medieval history. You know, okay. gonna, your life is going to go in two different directions. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this is the first programming language that they're going to learn. The first is the hardest. You know, once you've got the, you know, one syntax down, it's really just a question of learning new syntax as you adopt new languages. Um, you know, Java is uh, open source. Um, uh, you know, tons of financial institutions in this area use it. You know, .NET's, you know, the Microsoft stack, so okay. um, Microsoft language. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not a high stakes decision because at the end of the day, the exercise of learning how to code, that's the hard thing. And if you look at a, a, a good developer, they're comfortable operating in, in in different languages. And, you know, if it's a question of learning a new language, you know, it's a couple of weeks of them just getting familiar with the syntax. That onboarding um, process is not difficult. It's almost like, this is also probably a poor analogy, it's the difference between choosing to learn Latin or Greek. All of it's got structure around it. You just need to know the words that are being used. Sure. sure. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's more like the difference between learning Italian or Spanish. You know, uh, at the end of the day, they kind of, they all have the same sort of root language, mm-hmm. you know, which is Latin. Um, they've just taken different sort of interpretations. But once you understand the fundamentals of how the grammar works, how it, how it lays out, you know, you have the, the object-oriented fundamentals to be able to say, oh, okay, I see that is that in this language. Okay. So a good example, we graduated a student from our .NET program. Uh, they were hired by 
I cover my meds, which is a Ruby shop. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a short training period to get up to speed on Ruby, and now they're writing code in Ruby. Um, you know, it would have been. And that seems to be okay with a lot of companies. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the easiest you're a solution programmer. is you're not necessarily a .NET programmer or a Java programmer. Yeah, and particularly at a junior level, you know, I think I mean the easiest solution for a company is that sort of obvious. I'm a .NET shop. I'm going to hire a .NET developer, but you know, um, it's entirely possible for you know our students to 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 pivot and learn a different language. Okay, if that makes sense. I mean, the, you know, what's more remarkable or the hardest thing is actually learning the first language. So the fact that somebody has gone from no professional coding experience to a functional code-ready junior developer and has acquired that knowledge in 14 weeks. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that impresses the the uh, the companies so much and the people that hire them because if somebody's capable of doing that, I mean, the sky's the limit on their growth orientation and their learning ability. Okay. Walk me through your background and how Tech Elevator came to be. Sure. So, um, you know, my background, you know, came originally from I was in marketing and sales related roles. Okay. Um, I had been working in the UK in Formula One car racing and sponsorship. Okay. Uh, I came to um, the States to work in television broadcast, but in advertising. Okay. Um, you were in New York or? I was actually, no, I was in Cleveland. I had okay. come through Cleveland. My intent was to go to Cleveland, which is a top 20 television market, mm -hmm. and move to New York, you know, Los Angeles. Um, you were going to you know, cut your teeth Chicago. and then, okay. And then move on. And uh, I actually, I met and married a local girl. Okay. Um, but what was fascinating to me was, this was at a time when, um, you know, there was a, just a, a ton of activity around uh, entrepreneurship, around, you know, sort of the digital revolution. And, um, you know, I, I was not, I felt like I was in a, in a, uh, an industry that had really sort of crested in broadcast television. And I really wanted to get into the digital space. Okay. Um, I worked for a digital agency for a period of time, um, got to work side by side from a consultative standpoint with the developers and just really admired what they could accomplish. I mean, it was just amazing to me, uh, the efficiencies that they could bring to businesses, the value that they could add through their work. And uh, I just, I really enjoyed working with them. Uh, I had worked with a lot of startups. I really enjoyed working with startups. Uh, at that point in time, uh, I'd gotten to know uh, a gentleman who's now living down here uh, in, in Columbus by the name of Robert Hatter, who's a talent partner at Drive Capital. And Robert was at Jumpstart, which is the analogous organization to Rev1. Okay. Uh, and uh, Robert had built a talent program there and recruited me to come in uh, and found and lead a mentoring program for Jumpstart. So um, I ended up uh, doing a deal with MIT, who had a very successful mentoring program. We took their model, we adapted it to Northeast Ohio, and we built a program of 50 volunteer mentors who were coaching and advising up-and-coming startups. And I got an enormous amount of satisfaction out of that. Mm -hmm. I saw the power of mentoring uh, to really move people forward from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, it wasn't that you know, Cleveland entrepreneurs weren't having ideas that were just as valid as the ideas that were ha being had in Silicon Valley or, right. in, you know, in Boston. It's that we didn't have uh, the critical mass of digital literacy in our region. Okay. Uh, and so we found a lot of business founders, but not a lot of technical founders. And I saw the problem in Northeast Ohio as a digital literacy problem that was hurting the startup ecosystem. And so, so that was my first sort of kind of big sort of eye opener, like, wow, 
we've got a problem on our hands if we don't change the dynamic in this market for digital literacy. And let me translate that a little bit. You have a startup, a guy who can do accounting, can get financing together, can get investors together, but literally doesn't have the talent to build it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And they were having to basically outsource a core function of their business. They could build it. They could go to an agency. They could pay agency rates to build something, but who is going to maintain it? Mm-hmm. You know, and the practical reality of a startup is whatever you start with, you are not going to finish with. It is going to change multiple times. It's going to react to what you're seeing in the market, but you have to have an MVP. You have to have something that you can work with. Well, you have to be able to adapt to the market. Absolutely. Right. And if the clock is ticking at an agency rate at 150, 200 bucks an hour or whatever, you can bleed your startup dry. So we needed these technical founders and we didn't have them. So that was my first, you know, understanding of what I what I believe is a crisis that's facing not only the nation in terms of tech talent shortage, but also the regions that we're in. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're at a point right now in our economy where we're basically going into a fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. The world is turning over. The world is being rebuilt in code. You know, I grew up in London where black cabs were everywhere. Well, that's an industry that you never thought would go away, but it's on its knees because of some smart kids in California who created Uber. Mm-hmm. You know, the world is being disrupted right now and it's being done by the minority a very small number of people in this world who know how to code and so uh, I'd seen it from the startup standpoint but I'd also started to hear it increasingly from the company standpoint. When you look at the simple fact that it's not just technology companies that need software developers, increasingly it's the Fortune 500s who are digitizing. Sherwin-Williams up in Cleveland, you know, 60,000 employees worldwide. They're a paint company. They're a manufacturer. Who needs software developers? Well, they do. you know, it's a giant logistics company. <laughs> logistics, is, you know, needs a lot of software. Developers. They've got 500 software developers on staff. Right. You know, Progressive Insurance, 30. 3,500 folks in their IT department. So it's absolutely a need across the board and government's using more and more technology. So I was looking at this and saying, wow, there's a really significant opportunity here. And now is probably a good time for me to give my full disclosure of the episode. My father, John Fulton, works for you, just started and got his bachelor's of computer science in 1978. (laughs) And so literally, you know, his final project was a stack of cards with holes in them. And so I think it speaks to what you've said about a programmer is a programmer is a programmer. It's all about learning to sort of think in that way and getting a syntax down and understanding it, but it's it's the way that you think then. So, and I should say, I mean, we're absolutely delighted to have John on board. John is, you know, being able to put somebody like John in front of the students to show them, you know, John, you know, John's had a ton of experience. He's one of our most experienced instructors, you mm-hmm. know, most recently 17 years at Grange Insurance. But, you know, John wasn't the kind of person that would just do what needed to be done between nine and five Mm -hmm. if he wasn't getting exposure to technology that he thought was interesting. He was going home and he was teaching it himself. And that is the profile of the students that we look for because we're delivering students into the market with a set of skills that's that's relevant today. But that set of skills is not going to be a set of skills that they can cruise on for the rest of their lives. I'm not teaching them to operate a piece of machinery. I'm teaching them to be in a very fluid uh, and dynamic uh, field. And 
they need to have that hunger and that growth orientation. And so when we can put somebody in front of them that can demonstrate the longevity of the career, if you're willing to continue to invest mm-hmm. in your own growth, that's exactly the kind of person we want to have as a, as a mentor to them and as an example of, of what a career in software development can look like. I think that certain people have been exposed to a myriad of advertisements for coding programs in Columbus. Can you talk about what you view as the difference between Tech Elevator and some of the other programs? Sure. No, I'm happy to. Um, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, this is an industry that was founded really, the first boot camp grads started graduating out of programs in 2012. Okay. okay? So it's a relatively nationwide. young industry, nationwide. Okay. And, and as you would expect, the innovation was happening on the coasts. Um, and what's, fan, what's fascinating about it is software um, development boot camps were started by software developers who basically said to buddies of theirs, you know, who weren't making, you know, ha- didn't have great careers. They were like, you're smart. There's no reason you can't do this. I'll teach you. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they taught them and they got a job and they were like, hang on a second, there's a business here. Right. And so is that, by the way, how Tech Elevator came along? You guys identified a need and then started the business. Is it purely entrepreneurial? So, um, you know, it's entrepreneurial, uh, certainly. I mean, you know, launching any business uh, is entrepreneurial. The beauty for us is in some ways, uh, you know, the playbook already existed. Mm-hmm. It existed on the coast. Uh, it had been done successfully. These students were graduating and going up working at companies like Intel and Google. And so we knew that this alternative source of talent was being um, validated by companies. And we knew that um, the process could be effective. What we needed to do was adapt it for the realities of the Midwest. So, you know, shifting the language that we were, we were teaching, thinking about the different kinds of companies who might be more traditional about how they think about non-traditional, you know, students. Given uh, the market will. that you exist in. Yeah. Right. And so making those, making those, um, those shifts. But, um, you know, we took a model that was proven and brought it to the Midwest. Okay. And back to my original question, what makes you guys different? Sure. Currently, there are 91 coding boot camps in the U.S. Okay. And that has gone from zero in 2011 to 91 today. So it is, a, it is an industry that's seen some massive explosion. Um, the boot camps last year were projected to graduate somewhere around uh, 17,000 students. So still in a, drop of the, a drop in the bucket compared to the demand in the yeah. market. Um, but they're starting to make an impact. So of those 91 coding boot camps, there is a massive difference between the best and the worst. Uh, I was just in a, an Inc. article a few weeks back um, that, that was basically reporting on somebody who had uh, was teaching people online through Google Hangouts and was charging them $10,000 a pop and then disappeared, just disappeared out of you know uh, nowhere. They, they found him in Mexico. Okay. Um, you know, so Took the money and ran. So there is a risk here, and this is the risk of for-profit educators. Tech Elevator, you know, for us, we decided, look, when we're going we're gonna to get into this business, we're going to do it right. There's too much... Um, there's too much bad news around, you know, um, you know, private for-profit educators, and we can't risk that because mm-hmm. what we're doing with the coding bootcamp movement, if it's done well and it's focused on quality, actually offers a really amazing opportunity for people to get a second chance at a new career. So our focus at Tech Elevator is absolutely on quality. So it's so critical for us. And, and frankly, you know, there's no longevity in the model if we don't have a quality product. So a good example of that is, um, you know, 
Progressive Insurance up in Cleveland. Um, they hired one of our first graduates coming out of our first program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had been traditionally looking for CS degree uh, holders to be their you know entry level uh, students. Computer science, right? Um, we had to uh, we had to you know persuade them to think you know a little bit more creatively and and take a risk on a candidate, mm-hmm. which they did to their credit. Um, that well, candidate- but also they're able to if they're hiring a junior developer, they they bring in a CS graduate and they bring in somebody from Tech Elevator. And theoretically, they're able to do the same thing, at least in, in the interview. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've heard actually that our students are able to be, you know, uh, actually able to code at a higher level than a CS graduate on average. Right. Um, because they've been doing more practical work. You know. And more recently. Yeah. It's not spread out over yeah. four years or whatever. But in that example, you know, Progressive Insurance hired one in January. Um, uh, that individual did so well that they hired five in April. Okay. Uh, and then another three uh, in August. And so, you know, that is really the proof. And at the end of the day, for all the branding and advertising and marketing and everything that we can do, you know, our brand is embodied in the students that we graduate. And the students that graduate and are placed at companies, you know, they're the best advertisement for the the next wave of students. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be completely, completely obsessive about quality throughout the entire spectrum or the entire continuum of what we do. Finding the, the, the right students to come into the program, doing a really good job of qualifying them, mm-hmm. finding phenomenal instructors who have great industry experience. Uh, the average experience for our instructors is 17 years of industry experience. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a really great job of building relationships with the hiring companies and educating them about what our product is and what they can expect and ultimately placing those students. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something that I'm incredibly proud of is our people because at every sort of fa- every phase of our our continuum, we're we're really working hard to make sure that we have the right people doing, you know, good work. Are there specific things that you can point to that make Tech Elevator different from the other for lack of a better term, coding boot camps. Yeah, I mean, I would say there are really three areas that we pride ourselves on the differentiation. Um, those are, you know, the overall quality of the students, um, the quality of the instructors and the experience they bring to the table, and then the quality and the depth of the relationships that we have with the hiring companies. So, um, you know, I'll dig into those in order. So, you know, the first thing is um, it really matters. Um, the quality of the students that are side by side with you through this intensive 14 week program really matters because mm-hmm. peer to peer learning is a critical function. And if we just let anybody into the program, really smart people who get the materials may turn to somebody next to them who has no comprehension. And that's just going to drag the average of the class down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about one in 10 students ultimately gets through our enrollment process, which means that the aggregate uh, is a very strong. Is that from people. like expressing interest on the website to? No, that's okay. from passing the aptitude test. So wow. we have an aptitude test that basically says, you know, uh, this would be, you know, this is something that you would be good at. Let's go down the path together. So, you know, ultimately from passing the aptitude test, we only enroll one of 10 students coming through. Okay. So a high quality of students. The next thing is the instructors. Look, you know, I liken learning how to code in 14 weeks to climbing up Everest or McKinley or K2, you know. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, it really matters who your trail guide is. You know, it really matters because if you have somebody that's never hiked that mountain before or isn't very good, you're going to freeze on the side of the mountain. 
mountain. Okay. You know, so what we do is we recruit from industry people who have a minimum of 10 years experience. How that's actually averaged out is I think our average years of experience in the company is 17 years of experience. Mm-hmm. But these are people who have been in the field, they've done the work, they know the practical application of the theory, and they give those insights to our students. So by the time the students get into industry, they're familiar with modern uh, methodologies, tools, all those sort of things. And we hear that from our employers. They love that. That's really valuable because these people are code ready from day one. Mm-hmm. The final component is those, you know, are those hiring relationships. We have a network of over 60 hiring companies here in Columbus, all the brands you would expect. But these aren't transactional relationships. These people are coming in to Tech Elevator and participating in the education of the students. Uh, they're coming in, they're doing interviews on site with the students that we set up uh, and they're letting us know about job opportunities that are coming up way before they're even you know advertised so you know we're constantly working to build that hiring network so you're dedicating resources to do that as well like you have an outreach person we have a full-time person who focuses on building okay. the hiring network because most of our students are pretty introverted and you know setting themselves out to the world you're and- kidding a, co- a coder is <laughs> <Yeah>. it introverted <laughs> so that for them is a huge advantage so a, a large portion of the students that come through this program are ultimately introduced to their future employer through relationships that tech elevator has initiated and that's really important i mean at the end of the day we're here to get people jobs so we want to play a role in that and we know we can play you know a powerful incremental role to their own efforts great let's talk about the model a little bit you place a student in a company and they don't work out, that simply damages your brand. Yeah, you can get written off very quickly. Yeah, the cost for a student for the 14-week program, it's $12,000. It's not cheap to do this. Given that you are a for-profit educational entity, are there financing options available for students? Yes, Um, so yeah, firstly we recognize $12,000 is not couch change. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say that, you know, our average incoming salary is around, uh, of those who are working, about 30% have come in unemployed or displaced, but of those who are working, um, the average incoming salary for our students is around 30, 35,000. The average outgoing salary is around 60,000. Okay. So to be able to see a 25,000 um, uh, dollar, you know, pay bump uh, mm-hmm. on the back of 14 weeks of education, you know, I challenge you to find an educational institution that can deliver that kind of ROI. Right. right. I mean, I think it's a really great deal. So we're very proud of the value that we deliver. That being said, $12,000 is not couch change. It's not that everyone's got $12,000 sitting around and they're wondering what to do with it. Right. You know, practically speaking, you know, uh, it's it's a question of pulling together that money. So we've we've worked with um, a, a private lender. It's called Skills Fund. Okay. Uh, and Skills Fund will loan students up to $16,000, actually. So $1,000 a month additional for the duration of the program to cover the cost of living And that's simply because you're expenses. not going to be able to be working while you're in, or yeah. you shouldn't have to work while you're in this program. Yeah, it's a full-time consideration we want our students to be focused on the task at hand which is learning how to code so uh, that certainly helped um, there are some uh, some state county uh, resources that are available on a case-by-case basis so if anyone's interested I'd encourage them to look into those things on a county-by-county basis mm-hmm. um, you know look we don't want means to be uh, you know the ability to afford the program to be the reason that somebody can't come to tech elevator you know we want the, the reason that someone can't come to tech elevator to be because 
we've mutually decided that it's not a good fit and right. they shouldn't waste their money on something that they're not qualified to do. So we're, Well, we're, and it's certainly not Trump University in that you're simply trying to get people in so that you can fill your coffers. Yes, we, we deploy a lot of resources against our students. So, you know, I, I think you can talk to any student, read our reviews. You know, I think um, it's incredible value for money, and we're very proud of that. You are not a software developer in your background, correct? No, that's correct. I'm, I have huge admiration for software developers. Why don't I, you take your own, would, why don't you go through your own dog elevator? food? Yeah, I would, I would absolutely love to freeze time and go through <laughs> my own program. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a function in this business and uh, my function is to uh, make sure the students get a job. So, okay. you know, one of the primary. And is that, do, you, do you view that as your role? In addition to setting up the structure of the actual business, is that your role? It's all of our role. Okay. I mean, from the absolute beginning. So, so, you know, we shouldn't be accepting anybody that we don't genuinely believe can get a, a, a you know, can learn the materials and get a job on the other side. Okay. Um, it, you know, the the ownership that our instructors take of their students, I mean, these are their children, you know, they're spending an intense amount of time working with them and, and just the 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 pride that you can see on their face when the job offers start coming in mm -hmm. uh, is incredible. And, you know, for me, you know, we have built a team of people that are just laser focused on seeing that payoff happen. Uh, and it covers all aspects of the business. I mean, at the end of the day, this is not for academic curiosity that people come through this program. This is I mean, to change can, their lives. It can be, right? Yeah, it like could if be. you've you got could. 12 grand sitting around, <laughs> want to spend 14 weeks doing this, you can do it. You can. If but you, that's not the purpose. That's not, not what you no, set it up no, these for. These are career changes. These are people that have jobs. You know, they've been job hopping or, you know, and they're looking for a career. And, you know, it's our responsibility to architect a system that gives them the optimal chance of making that happen and constantly ask, are we doing it as well as we could or could we be doing it better? That to me is critical. And, you know, having an, a team that's aligned towards those goals is, you know, just fundamental to us having a great business. Okay. Cleveland was the first one because you identified the need there. Can you talk about why you expanded to Columbus? Yeah. So, you know, we decided that we, we wanted to expand to Columbus or, or I, I should take a step back. We decided to evaluate whether Columbus was a good fit sometime around March of uh, 2016. Okay. Um, spent a lot of time a year down ago, here. Literally. Yeah, a okay. year ago. Um, I spent a lot of time down here. Um, you know, I uh, had the, great good fortune to get introduced with Ben Blancara from Tech Life. Um, you know, have uh, some folks in my network who are down here, obviously know the folks at Rev1. Mm -hmm. uh, and my first trip down here was a discovery trip, you know, and what I was trying to work out was, you know, with the explosion of coding boot camps in the country, what was it about Columbus and the invisible force field uh, that made that meant that there were no coding boot camps in Columbus? Because if you look at this market, you know, from an IT strength standpoint, mm -hmm. particularly, you know, on a sort of a per capita basis, this is a hands down IT town. Okay. And then if you look at the output of the colleges, you know, um, Ohio State University is, uh, you know, 43 plus thousand undergrads, you know, they're graduating, you know, less than two and a half percent of the students coming out are graduating with a, um, with a, a bachelor's in computer science. Right. So, you know, I think 220 graduated with a bachelor's of computer science last year. So you know, okay. that's a staggering mismatch when you consider that in Franklin County last year, 7,500 software developer positions were advertised and 13,500, you know, uh, related roles, so software developer and related roles 
calls were advertised. So mm-hmm. I looked at it and said, this is just too good to be true. I mean, there's a major supply-demand mismatch. We've got some really great um, traction up in Cleveland. We feel comfortable that our curriculum is where it needs to be. The final component was, can we find credible people to deliver this? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to bring, uh, you know, Casey Borders, who was, you know, uh, big in the tech community, to come on board as an instructor um, back when we got started, later uh, John. Um, and, you know, the, the rest has been history. I mean, the, the appetite for tech talent in this market is voracious. You know, a case in point, um, JP Morgan Chase came in and hired five right out of the first class, you know, nationwide and, and Huntington Bank and, you know, um, cover my meds here that were, you know, welcoming, welcoming us to come down and open up. So we're delighted to be here. It's been, you know, uh, it's been humbling and, and also incredibly exciting to be in this market. Do you think that the model will evolve a little bit? Companies have this need. And while there are now more than one coding boot camp in Columbus, it's obviously not fulfilling that total need. Do you think the model will flip a little bit in terms of a student paying for the tuition and the businesses investing more or being investors in companies like yours? So I think that, you know, so it's interesting to watch the industry broadly. I mean, we've seen some big players come in and invest in the industry. Okay. Kaplan bought Dev Bootcamp. Capella bought Hackbright and a, a, another um, a program in Utah. The simple fact is, is, is this is a this is a business that. Um, can be a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a business where we're looking for a quick exit. I mean, right. you know, um, we're not making widgets and buying bigger machines to make more widgets faster. I mean, we're dealing. This with, is education. We're dealing with human beings, right? right? So you know, you, you you can't you know you can't um, you know do the sort of cheaper, faster you know sort of process because right. you're going to you're going to compromise the quality. So um, you know, is there an exit strategy for Tech Elevator at some point in the future? I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but what we've got. Um, you know, what we've got in front of us is uh, a really great opportunity to impact the communities that we're in. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, what's really galvanizing the team together. That's what enables us to attract, you know, phenomenal instructors who are really committed. Um, that's more of the focus right now. I mean, as we look at it, we believe that there is a window of opportunity for the Midwest to capture its fair share of the role in this fourth industrial revolution. It's probably the best opportunity. I mean, you know, Columbus is certainly ahead than, ahead of Cleveland on the IT standpoint, but it's probably the best opportunity since 1914 in Cleveland to really see a great revival is mm-hmm. in tech businesses, you know, and um, we've seen some phenomenal successes in recent years. So that's that's what we're excited about. I mean, my background's in economic development. I'm passionate about the communities I'm in and I mm-hmm. serve. And so what role can Tech Elevator play in catalyzing uh, that opportunity? What role can we play in breathing digital literacy into the regions that we're in? That's much more of the focus at this point in time. I, I will tell you that there is an enormous amount of activity in the marketplace. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, have you, you know, guys started looking at additional markets? Um, we have been asked to expand into additional markets. That's well, that's for sure. better than looking. Yeah. So, I mean, our reputation um, has gained us a lot of credibility, um, certainly in sort of, you know, um, uh, county government, city governments, that kind of things. Because if a politician is going to attach their name to a for-profit education provider, they really need to know that that person or that organization is legit, has a, a real track record of real results. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that speaks to our focus on quality that we 
we've been invited to expand into different markets. Um, for us, it comes down to, you know, can we credibly scale the program uh, without compromising the core? Uh, and can we find credible instructors in those markets? You know, we're very practical on that standpoint as well. So, you know, are there going to be more markets for Tech Elevator? You know, watch this space. But, you know, yeah. there's certainly been interest expressed by companies, uh, or by um, counties and cities for us to expand. And certainly there's, you know, a human capital cost. You don't have to build machinery in order to have a class. No, we need a physical space, mm -hmm. a decent Wi-Fi connection. Uh, we provide all of our students with, you know, laptops for the duration of the program. So they're working on quality equipment. Right. You know, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a pretty sizable line item for, you know, 16 MacBook Airs in a classroom. But, right. you know, no, our, our, our big expense is on people because this is a people business. You know, right. we're, we're recruiting our instructors from industry. We have to pay competitive salaries with industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're fishing for a kind of a rare breed of fish as well. Somebody that really, really gets a, a major kick out of mentoring and coaching and, and helping people get better and, and get into the field. The last thing I wanted to touch on, which is only appropriate because we've been talking about such a specific industry. Now that you have been in Columbus, spent a couple nights here, spent some time here, can you reflect on what you see in Columbus and it, it being different from the other places that you've been? You have been to over 40 countries, <laughs> lived, lived in three or four of them, settled down in Cleveland. What's different about Columbus? Um, you know, every time I'm here, I you better have a good. Answer. I discover something new. No, I mean, I, you know, so so um, I think Columbus has an incredible energy about it right now. Um, you know, the smart city, mm -hmm. um, the the critical mass around technology. Um, of course, you know, a monster exit like Cover My Meds, proving that these great companies can be built here. You know, I mean, I I would say that this isn't a uh, this isn't a, a city on the cusp of making great things happen. This city is making great things happen. Uh, and there's so much more that's going to reveal itself. Mm -hmm. And that is the aggregate of smart people working on big problems. You know, to me, that's really exciting. Um, you know, the character of, uh, you know, Cleveland is a Rust Belt revival. There's mm -hmm. an edginess, a grittiness, a can-do attitude. But in both cities, you know, um, these are hardworking, creative, friendly, committed, people who love their city, mm -hmm. love their state. You know, that's that's a really exciting group of people to be around. I mean, every city has its characteristics. You know, London right. is one of the most popular cities where you can be a total stranger and completely alone in a city of 11, 12 million people. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is a place where you can have you know, you can bump into somebody and strike up a really warm conversation. I love that. I mean, I'm a people person, so that really that really works for me. And Columbus is a very welcoming town. You know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's there's a there's a welcome there's a there's an attitude of you know if you've got something you know exciting like bring it here. How can we plug you in? And and mm -hmm. I've been, you know, it's been great to see how people have said, well, you know, I'm going to introduce you to so and so, or you should meet so and so, and it's been it's been fantastic for Tech Elevator. And it's been, you know, I've, it's been very enjoyable. Now, I, I would say that, you know, um, if I'm going to be critical about Columbus, I'd say, you know, your top, your topography is miserable. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. boring. But you Columbus know. needs a mountain. <laughs> There's Hocking Hills. That's fun. Yeah. You know, so. Great, Anthony. Thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite developer. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.